Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Olympics podcast with Owen and Ken. Hi, Owen. Hi, Ken. Murph is away on holidays this week, I should explain, just for all you Murphomaniacs out there. He will be back on Monday. Uh, Murphomaniac, you happy enough for that? That's That's good, yeah. You you know what it means. I was watching... I've never heard it before. No. But, uh, yeah. I was watching the diving last night, Ken. The men's three-meter synchro. Oh, yeah. You like the lingo? It was won won by Great Britain. Their first ever gold in diving. When the commentator announced that Chris Mears, one of the two winning divers, had nearly died seven years ago after suffering undiagnosed glandular fever. So he had this glandular fever, didn't realise was diving away, causing a burst spleen, which led to him losing five pints of blood. He was given something like a 5% chance of survival, I think. It was pretty dramatic stuff. Anyway, he's back here winning a gold medal for Britain seven years later. Amazing stuff. I flicked over to the Rugby Sevens. And they were talking about one of the players who only took up the sport as a means of dealing with his serious anger management issues. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I don't think I can engage with an event for the rest of these two weeks unless I know the competitor has what I like to call overcome. A, but yeah, overcome significant odds. I, there should be a hashtag again. Hashtag harrowing Olympic backstory. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you, it sort of I mean? uh, gives you more of a sense of uh, the grit in the oyster or whatever. Oh, you were a really talented footballer and then you were targeted by a high performance unit who advised you to switch to rowing and then they trained you up and you won a silver medal and your family and friends are already proud. I don't care. I don't care about you. I only care about the Zacquias Queerhouses of this world. Oh, yeah. Who's, who's that? Uh, Brazilian canoeist, Ken. Right. Fell out of a tree trying to catch a snake when he was a kid. <laughs> Lost his kidney. Lost a kidney in oh, the aftermath. God. Was kidnapped as a child. Right. Ultimately returned safely. Had a car accident. Yeah. Thankfully he was able to walk away from that. And now is one of the favourites for a medal for Brazil in the canoeing over the weekend. It's pretty good. I mean, in fairness, Kieran Bean must be up there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Twice and, confined to a wheelchair for significant periods of time and told he had very little chance of walking again. Then both cruciate ligaments. Yeah. Um, the ACL in this tournament. Yeah, it's, that's yeah. very harrowing. Yeah, pretty tough. So, yeah, any Olympic harrowing Olympic backstories, tweet me at all, McDevitt. Maybe this isn't the kind of thing you want to be getting tweets on, actually. It could, uh, could go in all sorts of directions. Slightly hysterical reaction last night to Joe Ward losing his fight. I thought the boxing, <laughs> he was swear it's a total disaster and has completely fallen apart with Billy Walsh. Now, it feels to me like we're about, it's equivalent to being 25 minutes into a football match, that your team is 1-0 down, and you're already into full post-match analysis mode. A bit of an England being knocked out of a major tournament edge to it, I think. Now, I, I, I don't deny it. it's a fascinating dynamic that the head coach goes, if you look at this from the outside, your head coach goes within a year of the Olympic Games. The team he goes to starts winning medals again. America mm-hmm. hadn't won a medal in eight years. Yeah. He's doing unbelievably well. The uh, There's a massive drug scandal in the in the team that he's left behind and a couple of possible favourites for medals Paddy Barnes and Joe Ward both lose so certainly there's a, there's a conversation to be had there which we'll do with Andy Lee in a little bit of time I just think Andy's worked with both Billy Walsh and Zor Antius so he can maybe put a little bit of bones onto what exactly onto everything that Zor Antia has done with the team as well because it seems like by definition 
he's getting criticised here and it's, it's a certain amount of it must be his fault if everyone is saying that it's falling apart without Billy Walsh. Still very early on in the competition is my point. There's a lot still to go. But we'll get into that in uh, just a little while with Andy who's going to be in studio. The last podcast again that we did, you still haven't seen Simone Biles. Oh yeah. Despite all the hype. Have you seen her since? I have. I certainly have. I saw the uh, women's team gymnastics uh, and she was one of... <laughs> well... First among, uh, not quite equals in the American team, but a team that seemed to just, uh, the cliche that comes to head is stand head and shoulders with everybody. Of course, they don't stand head and shoulders with almost anybody. They're tiny. Uh, I think she's, what, four foot nine? She does stand almost head and shoulders um, above that uh, little Brazilian, mm-hmm. um, Flavia, what's her name, um, who is four foot four, and I believe the smallest athlete in the... Olympic Games, four foot four, foot four and five stone. Um, Flavia Sarayeva. Um, so by uh, contrast to her, Biles is a giant. But it's just incredible. I mean, what these people do is, is, is inconceivable to me. It's, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's, it's kind of every Olympics. I, you see, I actually, I didn't get to, I was at the London Olympics and I never saw any of the gymnastics. I mean, if you're actually at the, if you're at the, um, uh, to, if you're at the Olympics, you don't get to see it on TV, really, because you have to go to the largely to the boxing in your case, probably. Because I was at I was at boxing. I was at like canoeing one day, one wasted day. Um, I was, you know, at badminton. Um, that horse thing, question kind of a question thing. Yeah. I saw saw a good bit of swimming. That horse thing. I'm glad your expertise is on hand. Um, <laughs> to commentate on that, I was there when when Keen O'Connor. This horse won is a, going really slowly. Yes, Ken, it's called a dressage. <laughs> Keen O'Connor won a bronze medal. It was show jumping, wasn't it, or some kind of mm-hmm. obstacle yes, Keen course? Is, Keen O'Connor, show Keen O'Connor won a bronze medal. It was me, and there was only one other journalist there at that, at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's kind of on beach volleyball. I mean, I don't remember much about it apart from the fact that it was in the horse guards parade, which is just the most amazing setting for this <laughs> in the actual. Volleyball was was largely passing me by. So I mean, and then and then the track when it started, I was at a good bit of that. But you, I, I never got to see any gymnastics. Um, uh, I just wasn't at the venue just when it was on. I just it was just the thing that I missed. So really, the last time I saw this in the Olympics was probably eight years ago, and it just seems to have come on a lot in that time. I mean, it just every year, every every Olympics just seems to push it out to a more extreme level. In the gymnastics specifically. Well, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, or some is it just, it's not just this athlete. She's incredible. She's she's even to our untrained eyes, and most of us, I don't know how many gymnast aficionados there are listening to this podcast, but you can see it, it, she looks different. It looks what she's doing looks to be different, even from as compared to what everyone else is doing this year. Well, yeah, but you know, then again, you, you see, for instance, um, Ali Reisman, who 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 is the you know one of her teammates. I mean, she, she did a floor routine, which was. Which was mind-boggling, um, you know. And everyone is kind of talking about Simone Biles, and I'm like, "Have you not seen this other one as well?" Like, I mean, it's not—it's not as though it's just her. She is maybe the best. Although, to be honest, you know, to the sort of untutored eye, they all almost look equally amazing. I mean, how do I judge whether someone has has been slightly disappointing? I can tell if they bounce a little bit on the landing, <laughs> yeah. or if they, or if fall, they fall off something. Yeah, that's always. And, that's, uh, and then I'm like, "Oh, that wasn't great." But you know, in terms of of ranking. Um, the, the small differences between a super elite performance and, you know, just a super, super world historic elite performance. It's, you know, it can be hard for me. I can just say that a lot of these uh, athletes are operating at an at an unbelievable level. I mean, when you consider how young, okay, they're not as young maybe as they used to be. You have to be at least 16 to be in this event now um, where there wasn't a lower age limit before. Um, but, you know, to the level that they've that they have got to, it's just it's phenomenal. What you mean? You, you you wouldn't be able to watch and tell that Simone Biles' only f- slight flaw is that she crosses her toes while she's doing her vault. <laughs> yeah, I, read I, that. I, I definitely noticed that and didn't just read it in this amazing piece that you sent on to me this morning by Reeves Weedman. Weedman. Yeah. Weedman. Anyway, it's in the New Yorker. We'll tweet it on to. I yeah, I, I read that. I mean, do they literally mean cross the toes? As in, like, sort of. Like like you would cross your fingers. Yeah, like your big toe, I presume, goes slightly over your next to big toe. And that's just something that happens that she can't iron out. No, presumably she's tried. If she, I would imagine Simone and her coaches have noticed that you know she's supposed to be the best gymnast of all time. They might have had a look at this. 
tiny flaw. It is kind of interesting, isn't it? Like to have that that level of control over your body, um, but the complexity of what you're doing is such that there is a level at which your brain just has to leave it to the local nervous system. Mm. It can't. It has to delegate. What's happening with the toes here? The brain has to say, "Look, toes, you're going to have to. <laughs> you're actually just going to have to handle this part of the routine yourselves." Yeah. Um, yeah, they are. Uh, they're unbelievable. The, uh, there's an interesting dynamic at play in that event as well. In that the American coach is seen as she was actually compared to Bill. Be- is it a she or a he? Bill Belichick. I think it's it could be a he. Anyway, this coach is compared to Bill Belichick in the uh, in, in the fact that they look at every single rule in their sport in detail and look at just how far can I push this particular rule? Now, Bill, Bill Belichick has gone over the line once or twice. I don't think there's a suggestion that this coach has. But So, for example, there's a, a move called the wolf turn, right? In which a gymnast crouches on one leg, attempts to stick the other leg parallel to the ground and spins around. It's an impressive move. I'm reading from the piece here. If anyone could put it off with any measure of grace, Biles does it better than any gymnast in the world. But even her version is wobbly. She does it, as do several other American gymnasts, because the wolf turn is awarded enough... <laughs> I wasn't even going for that. The wolf turn is awarded enough points that doing an ugly version is worth more than doing more elegant manoeuvres. The authorities are actually going to change this. They think it's a bit of an anomaly, so they're going to give fewer points to the skill when the code is rejigged after the Olympics. But at the moment, the Americans are exploiting this, and critics charge such tactical emphasis has taken the balletic grace out of the sport, to which the coach would respond that if you want to watch gymnastics perform the ball- uh, if you want to watch gymnasts perform like ballerinas, you're welcome to watch the Dutch prance their way to an aesthetically pleasing off-podium finish later today. <laughs> <laughs> and it was an off-podium uh, finish by the Dutch. But I, I think that criticism is a little extreme. That's a stupid criticism. Maybe it, it's the kind of criticism that, that really could only come from someone who is deep, uh, d- deep in, into the sort of the gymnastics rabbit hole. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is, the, you know, uh, this is inelegant. You know, this is like watching the hippos in Fantasia. You know, I, I'm, I, this is this is nonsense. I mean, it's not. It's there's there's a lot of ama- I mean, I have seen them them do that, and it is it is it does it is a part that most of them appear to make a mistake on. Yeah. That is true. Um, you know, to my eye, but it's not as though it's it diminishes. I think the overall uh, sort of astounding uh, impact of what they're doing. We're going to talk basketball on today's show. Don't worry about the specifics. I know sometimes I try to explain what the story is and what dramatics have happened, and there have been some dramatics in, in the basketball so far. But it doesn't really matter. All you need to know is that it gives us an excuse to get this guy in the pot. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown! Just listen to the music of the traffic in Six the Six foot street. nine outside here! Yeah. The all rejected by Parker! Pops this shot! Nothing but net. You can't forget all your troubles. Coast to coast by the Americans. Downtown. No final place for sure. Downtown. God, I love that package. And I love that commentator, Timmy McCarthy. 103 caps for Ireland. You may not know this again. 58 of those as captain. Uh, legendary player. Highly regarded coach as well. Known to you and I and our listeners as the man who... I think he's got to the point of commentary when you're creating an internet sensation every time you utter a word during boom the Olympics. Shakalaka. I'm going to ask him. A bit, I think I might ask him specifically about boom shakalaka. Actually, that's that's one of the ones that I'm. I just don't know the origins. There are so many. Maybe we could go through coast, every, to, coast. coast to coast. I think I know what coast to coast is. I mean, surely that's just going from one end of the court to the other. Well, boom, boom shakalaka was a, was a song, wasn't it? Um, are you thinking of boom shake 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 the room by uh, Will Smith? No, Jazzy, DJ Jazzy Jeff. There's definitely a Sly and Family Stone song from way back, which starts off with them going boom shakalaka. What's it got to do shakalaka. with? Uh, what's it got to do with the basketball? That's what I want to know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not going to be able to tell me. I don't think. Uh, I yeah, search search me on. Andy Lee is. Uh, it's just arrived in studio. Andy, how's the form? Good on. Thanks oh. for having me on. Yeah, well, no, thanks for coming in. We'd hope to get you in here to chat about our relentless march towards gold medals. It's not quite working out that way. Yeah, unfortunately, but there's been a lot of talk about a crisis in Irish boxing, and I just think it's an, an unfortunate, you know, set of results. Um, 
each of the losses that we've had, you know, Barnes, uh, David Olive Joyce and Joe Ward have all come under different circumstances. They've all they've been individual losses each for different reasons. You know, I can't there's no, I can't see there being a connection between them. Maybe the team morale is affected by the losses. That's and maybe crept in a bit of doubt into their minds. But, you know, Paddy Barnes, I think you know, my little sister could have been Paddy Barnes that night because he was dead at the weight. You know, he hadn't fought in over two years at 49 kilos. And even in the pre, uh, pre-Olympic pre matches that I watched in box, he was fighting at like 56 kilos and 58 kilos. And he looked looked brilliant. You know, he looked mm. world class. Just making the weight beat him, that I, I think. Although, you know, the Spaniard was good. A bit underrated, I think. I think kind of took him for granted. Um, but the weight, the weight, and I still thought he won the fight. I still thought Paddy Barnes won the fight. I, I thought he won the second round, and he definitely won. He just nicked the second round, and he definitely won the last round. Mm. Um, David Oliver Joyce was up against a class operator in, in Salomov. Um, yeah, David Oliver Joyce at least matched his expectations yeah. for this. Or maybe not his, but it's funny because yeah, there is this rush to slam how the boxing team has done so far. And out of the four of them, Stephen Donnelly's still there. David mm. Oliver Joyce did brilliantly to qualify and win his first fight. I mean, he's a limited fighter compared to the fighter he was mm. up against. And uh, so he did all he could in that one. So you're really talking about t- two defeats of no Paddy Barnes, as you mentioned, that there was the weight issue. And then Joe Ward last night. Yeah. I don't know what you thought of Joe Ward last night. He's a, he's a funny fighter in that he's immensely talented and then throws in the odd performance like this. Yeah, um... I still thought, like, uh, uh, there's a few gripes. I thought he well, won the fight. Well, the ref- I'm, well, I'm biased, yeah. I'm biased. But, um, the referee didn't help him. The referee from the start, from from the first bell, was very weak. He, when you're in a fight like that, you want the referee to stop the fight. He's pulling apart and say, listen, I'm going to warn you unless just holding. Uh, with, with all this holding, unless you stop holding, uh, lowering your heads and, you know, pushing, I'm going to I'm gonna warn you. Um and saying that, he did give them some cautions before the actual public warnings, both of the boxers. But they were both at it. One was as bad as the other. I think, you know, like in a football match when a dubious penalty gets awarded, the referee would usually go to the other end and give one as well for nothing. <laughs> you know, kind of evens it up. And I thought he might have done that. Um, but... Well, it seemed to me that it was his, uh, it was Joe Ward's opponent who was trying to drag it into this messy sort of fight. And Ward probably... Showed a bit of a lack of composure in mm. allowing that to happen. That was that was his game plan uh, to mess with Joe. There was no way he could beat Joe Ward only that way, and he did it. And Joe Ward, unfortunately, fell into the, fell into his trap. You know, um, he was awkward. He was throwing all wild punches, and he was wrestling and trying to upset Joe Ward. And that's when you know that's basically all he could do when you're fighting a superior boxer. You have to do something to get them out of the rhythm, and that's what he did. And he did it very well. I have to admit. Um, it's just just an unfortunate thing for Joe Wall, but I still thought he did enough in the last round. But the public ones, the the judges don't have to um, agree with the referee if they don't have to. Uh, yeah, can you explain this? That's a strange one because this, this popped up on TV last night. What, what exactly uh, a public warning is given, and what suppo- what are the judges supposed to do with that? It's it's in the re- it's in the judge's discretion. Uh, if they want to, if they agree with the referee, they can they can take a deduct a point, um, but if they see they don't agree or they don't see it that way. They can ignore it and just score the round as as they see. But you know, uh, most of the time they go with the referee because they're all they're all a fraternity of referees and judges, and they're going to go with their buddy, you know, and back him in that yeah. sense, you know. Yeah, Paddy Barnes tweeted last night. Anyone that thinks Billy Walsh is the reason for any Irish loss doesn't know anything about uh, anything about Irish amateur boxing, and that's a fact. This is what exploded last night. Everybody was seems mm. to be on saying the same thing that if Billy was there, these defeats wouldn't be happening. It's it's funny how 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 life works, I guess. But like you know, the USA have been suffering for so long in the Olympics, especially the men's uh, team. I think like since the Sydney Games, they've really they've mm. underperformed, and here the Irish team have come 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 through and won medals. You know, since Beijing and and now London and. Uh, you'd say, what's the key factor? And the only difference is that Billy Walsh was with the Irish <laughs> and now he's with the American team. But I I think Billy has had a good impact on the team. He's probably brought a level of professionalism and I can see some of the, Billy's moves in the boxes, the feints, which American boxers never usually do. But I can see that they're starting to faint a little bit more. Um, but I would say the new structure, the new format of amateur boxing, um, it's more geared towards being professional and 
that kind of suits American the American style of fighting because most of those amateurs in America they train alongside pros in their gyms at home they're, they're working alongside they're sparring with professional boxers and they're almost preparing themselves for the professional game and now this format of three three minute rounds no headgears and the emphasis on punching a hard and um, really it, it kind of just suits the American style of boxing so I think the two things you know go hand in hand um, Zorantio is an excellent coach he's the main reason why amateur boxing in Ireland has been so so good up for so long even more so than Billy yeah I think they were they were a good team you know it's a shame that they've had to that they had to split up um, but in terms of yeah in terms of the technical advancements in amateur boxing it's down to Zor um, he he, he reshaped the, you know, the whole program. Him himself, I have to give Billy credit and Gary Keegan, who was the high performance director. Yeah. So did Zora take on more of the technical side of the yeah. coaching? When we'd be there, so would we hand, like when when I was there, and since then, you know, Zora would be on the floor every day with the boxers and working with them every day. And Billy would just be there, adding words of advice. And Billy, you know, vast experience and a great cornerman as well. You know. I don't know, like, there's an argument, you know, there's horse trainers and then there's jockeys, you know what I mean? Like, a great coach, a great technical coach, sometimes might not make the best cornerman, you know? There's two different roles, and to be a great, all-round great boxing coach, you have to be able to do both. Um, but it's just, a, you know, I just think it's a, a series of unfortunate events. Well, it's funny, yeah, just on the, on the Zor thing, because... The, it's almost an implied criticism of him when people are saying mm. that if Billy Walsh yeah. was there, we'd be doing much better. So you've explained that he's a brilliant tech, one of the best technical yeah. coaches in the world, yes, maybe. definitely. He's in high demand. I think every time I speak to him, he's been contacted by a couple of countries to, you know, that want to, his services, they want him to come train their boxers. Is there a difference, though, when you go to the Olympics as the head coach and also the guy who has to organize things in the sense of he has, you have to firefight in the case of the Michael O'Reilly story you have to create this environment where all the fighters are ready to go is that something maybe that Billy was better at might be unfair but that Zor has been untested in so far yeah. up, up until now he's just been he's been in the corner he's been coaching he's been devising the tactical plans but now he has to do a lot more well it's just it's, I think it's just down to experience um, because People remember Beijing and London. But before that, you know, it was 2003 when the high performance was inducted. And before that, Billy had a lot of experience of handling disappointments. <laughs> and not to say, uh, and I was one of them, you know. Uh, uh, we, you know, we only qualified one box of the 2004 Olympics. And, uh, and since, and all, years after that, you know, Billy had worked with dealing with the media. And look, Zor is a great coach. I, I can, like... I remember my fight in the Olympics. I lost on a countback, and it was a tough fight. I was down from the start and had to claw my way back, but it wasn't. In the end, it wasn't enough. I'd missed out by the narrowest of margins, and I had a week and a half before I came home at the Olympics. And I was, every day I was thinking about the fight and couldn't figure out why I'd lost the fight. Couldn't figure out what I could have done to change the fight. I asked Billy, you know, what could I have done differently? And he said, you had to go for him. You had to go for him. And I was going for him. That's how the only way I got back. And um, but it wasn't the wasn't the answer. And when I returned home into the airport, there was a few people there from the Amateur Boxing Association who turned out, and some family and friends. And you know, it was a nice little celebration thing. There was a few people, photographers taking photos and that. And amongst all that, Zod just pulled me to one side. It was great to see him, and he he said, "I said, so what did you think of the fight?" He said, "Andy, one move, one move," and he just he demonstrated to me it was what he called show punch, which is show show a faint punch and then counter with the other punch. And it just made so much sense. It just clicked to me, mm. and I just thought if I could have just heard that during one of the rounds, it would I would have done it. It would have made such a difference, you know. And uh, it was too late, you know. Yeah. So that's yeah. the level, the level of detail. That's the kind of trust. Yeah. So presumably, all the fighters have a similar trust in in Zoranti and what he's doing. Is there a case then that that maybe people have overstated how important Billy Walsh was to the whole thing? I think they were a winning team. They both knew their roles, and I think. Um, you know what's the saying? Like you don't change your socks in the in the in the in the eighth game of a nine game series. You know, like when you're winning, you don't you don't break up a winning team. You know, and uh, I just I just think, you know, they worked hand in hand. And I don't I still think they'll be successful for the Irish team. I still do. I don't think I think this time next week they'll have a, a number of wins that might be fighting for medals, and um, 
this week will just be put behind him. You know? Yeah, but last Sunday we were talking on the radio, Andy. Yeah, I, I, was, I, predicted, I, was, I, I was goading yeah. you into this, but I think you said there'd be three or four gold medals. I thought three gold medals. Three golds. Yeah. And that was the expectation. Well, that's, that's, Conlon and Katie are still very much yeah. in, in shots with those. They're definitely in, in, in with a shot of those. Um, they'd be, they'd be, going out, they'd be our two favourites anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, Brendan Irvine and, pa- and Stephen Donnelly are still in the mix and as I said he could be the dark horse so I might be 50% right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but people actually Katie came up in this conversation as well uh, last night that people were having on Twitter and all the rest uh, about you know, we've lost Billy, you know, Billy Walsh and Katie started losing fights as well Billy Walsh didn't have much to do with Katie did he I mean it was her, her dad up until relatively recently mm. and, and Zor in the Zohar. corner yeah, yeah. it was always her dad and Zor um I just think it's, it's worth outlining because see just, what happened. Yeah. There's an argument to say, and I hate quite be cynical, but Billy might have seen the signs coming. The boxers were getting older, um, especially Katie. And like it's so hard to say she's getting older. She's only thirty years old. You know mm. what I mean? And she's um, she's been at the top for so long that if anyone gets close to her, you think she's slipping. You know. Uh, Oh, the two fights that she's lost recently, I thought she could have won. <laughs> I sound like a broken record, but I thought she could have won. Like she, she could have got the decisions. Um, there's an argument to say that Billy saw the sign, maybe Billy saw the signs coming, and America is such a big pool of talent and and uh, an untapped resource that, that there were so many talented boxers there that he could do something there, and that he knew when to when to, for want of a better phrase, jump ship, you know. Uh, so it wasn't all one way traffic there because he got all the sympathy, at the, a lot of the sympathy at the time. Yeah, and I, I like. I can remember speaking to Billy a number of years ago before I knew this even happened, and he had a desire to go on and coach in America. So, um, you know, as much as it, he, I think his hand was false. I think if he had, had an option to stay, he would have stayed. I can't, I don't want to speak for him because I, I haven't spoke, for, you know, I haven't been that in touch with him recently. But I think if he had an opportunity to stay in Ireland and, and coach the Irish team, get the, what he, the man's he wanted, he would have stayed. But, you know, the, going but to America, a, yeah. it's, not, it's not a bad second, you know. Yeah, Thomas Cavanagh, sorry, I don't know if I'm bringing up the, uh, this guy's name, but I'm looking at Paddy Barnes's Twitter feed and a guy called Thomas Cavanagh tweeted him to... Uh, ask, does that mean you had no problem with Billy leaving and the circumstances around it? And Paddy got back and said, coaching one of the world's biggest countries and being paid a hell of a lot more money, I'm happy for him. Yeah. Which ties in a little bit with what you're saying. It's, it's Sometimes you can overdo... I, mm. You know, Billy ha- Walsh has been massively important, but maybe there's a sense of overdoing the sort of... the uh, only one side of the argument yeah. when, it, when it comes to that particular story. Yeah. And also people only kind of attack This is the issue with the Olympics And I think it's why it's great to have you in And just outline what Zor does And mm. what, what involvement Billy has And all this kind of thing And um, you know how the, even how the Americans are going Because people don't know what they're talking about When it comes to Olympic sports a lot of the time Boxing is one that as general sports fans Are all a bit more familiar A lot more familiar with than some others But it still suffers from the same issue That people are watching it for the first time Maybe in four years and making all these snap judgments on based on limited enough kind of conversation, which I say can be annoying to people within yeah. the boxing fraternity. Well, it's always going to be the way. But like, as mu- as much as my opinion matter, it uh, doesn't matter. It matters. Like Paddy Barnes, no, he's the team captain of the Olympic team boxing team. He carried the flag. If anybody knows, if he, like if anyone knows the situation, he knows the situation. You know, and he's come out and back saw and said that. Billy is not not a factor in, in the losses that they've had, and so who else is better qualified? Is the Michael O'Reilly story and the way that dragged on quite a lot? Does that potentially did it have more of an impact than we assumed on the other boxers? Might it have had any impact at all? Uh, I don't think I don't think it had much of an impact, honestly. Um, as much as I said before that they're they're all in their own their own um, their own bubble, they're mm. all focused. I don't think uh, for, uh, for I I know the reasons why it wouldn't have had it affected them. I don't know if I can say it openly, but uh, they're all focused on their own game. You know, Michael O'Reilly made a stupid, stupid mistake. I don't. I can remember even from my time, and I'm sure it's the same. How many team meetings you have to sit through with uh, nutritionists, sports science guys, psychologists, your team coaches? Every week you're sitting through a different meeting, and they're boring. But they're all saying the same thing. Do not take anything without advice from the team doctor. So there might not have necessarily been that much sympathy for Michael O'Reilly for getting into that situation? I think so, yeah. I don't... I, I, as Bernard Dunn said, every, at a high performance, you're, as an athlete, you're responsible for what goes inside your body. Mm. And I just think... It was, I don't think it was... I think it was naivety. I don't think he was trying to get any unfair advantage. You know, I just... 
I think he was just made a stupid mistake and he's paying the price for it. You know, well, he let the country down, all this talk. Um, he let the, oh, the association let down. He's suffering more than anybody. He's got to live with it for the next you know, number of years. People won't forget it. It's been the, head, head, like the headline story. Everywhere he goes, he's going to be faced with this. So he's going to suffer f- more than anybody. So It is his decision. It was his. He was the person who took the this, this supplement from somebody outside of the boxing, mm. uh, f- from the coaches and from the high-performance setup, though. Yeah. Uh, well, and I know, well, like, that's, that's his fault. It's his mm. fault. But, like, uh, I just think a little bit of perspective, you know, I don't know, like, people just want to, people want to slam him, but he's suffering more than anybody else. Like, so, no matter what you can say or do, do to him or, or, or put him down in any way, it's not gonna. It's not gonna be any worse than make him feel any worse than he's already feeling. I think it's it's also the lack of clarity over the last week as well. That's maybe gotten even now a week later. We don't know what the substance yeah, is, yeah. and we originally this isn't his. This isn't. He's not necessarily the one putting out this information. But originally, you hear oh, it's recreational. Then no, it's performance enhancing. Then he's gonna go straight to appeal. No, he's gonna get the B sample tested. No, it's a supplement. Finally, he actually comes out with his own words, or certainly his people announced a statement on his behalf a day or two ago, which at least gives some information on what happened. But even then, you know, if, he, if he's looking for maximum, if his, the people advising him are looking for maximum sympathy for him, is there an argument that they n- need to, be a, to provide a bit more clarity or needed to provide a bit more clarity before now? I know, but, for, but the, yeah. Just, but tell us the, what, just tell us what happened. Yeah, with, tell with, 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 maybe they should, but... Um, does he owe that to anybody? Does he? You know, well, maybe maybe he does. Maybe I'm being, but like, just keep your head down and get on with it. You know what I mean? You've 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 you failed a drug test. You stupidly took something that you shouldn't have taken. You're paying the price for it. He he won't won't be allowed to forget it for probably as long as he lives, and uh, just carry on. I mean, like, just uh, not move on, but like. Whose business is it anyway? He's suffering more than anybody else. You know, he was representing Ireland, so maybe he needs to put out a statement and, and, and explain what he took. Um, God knows why he took it. Mm. And um, and just just move on with his life. <laughs> yeah, listen, Andy, we'll move on with the Olympics and hopefully have a happier chat yeah. early next week, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> thanks hopefully, for, yeah. Thanks for popping in. Thanks. Won't you bring back all those colours to my dreams Don't give a damn about the money Being shot, take the title, take it all And go to jail tomorrow This chump has got everybody scared Scared of what? You told him I don't have nothing but a prayer Well, chump, all I need is a prayer Because if that prayer reached the right man Not only will George Fulman fall The mountains will fall <laughs> You saw him on television, there was no one more beautiful. You saw him walking down the street, he was a beautiful thing to see. He moved around the ring, he had style and class, he was tall and good looking. Everything you'd want from a boxer, wrestler, football player. And to be honest with you, he belonged to the arts because he had porn, poetry, he had it all. Specimen, fighting machine. You know, it was handsome, it was articulate, it was funny, charismatic, and was whooping ass too. All right, brilliant stuff from Andy Lee there, particularly his insight into Zor Antia's coaching ability. And that story after the Olympics in 2004, I think just crystallizes exactly what makes Zor such a highly regarded coach. I remember Ken Egan talking about him in his book. Any of the boxers will, say, will talk at length about the impact that Zor has had on the Irish team. So I think it, it's just worth having that out there very much. But whether or not he's as good at the rest of it, we don't know about creating the environment getting the psychological side of it right. Who knows, really? I suppose if we, if Ireland end up winning no medals at this Olympic Games, <laughs> then it's not going to reflect very well on the guy who's the head coach over there at the moment. It's just, I, I feel a little bit almost uncomfortable in the way this is being analysed at the moment, even talking about it myself, because it's just, it's too early. Most of our favourites haven't gone out. Paddy, there were specific uh, reasons why Paddy Barnes and Joe Ward 
didn't go particularly well. Uh, but you know, you could have a situation where the whole boxing team doesn't do well, and you know, then then those questions are rightfully asked. I don't know what I mean, you made a ward last night or what you make the whole boxing thing. Well, Paddy Barnes uh, didn't mention. You know, oh, I wish Billy Walsh was still around. You know, that definitely wasn't one of his one of his open reasons. I mean, the no, I, yeah. I read out the tweet to Andy there. I mean, yeah. he he was he thinks any, anyone who thinks that the Billy Walsh absence is any part of him losing a fight doesn't know boxing. Yeah. So uh, and and he gave the explanation um, of you know the the white coat being problematic for him. You know that was that was a big evidently a big part, or at least how he felt about why he'd why he had failed. Um, as for Joe Ward, Joe Ward has won the fight last night. If it's not for the deductions, uh, he was he was blaming the referee again. He didn't mention Billy Walsh. Um, I mean, Joe Ward didn't have a good fight. I, mean, I was watching it. It was weird. It was it was a terrible fight. I thought to watch. It was just awful. It was it was it was really it was messy. It was untidy. The guy who he was up against had such a bizarre style. It really was, yeah. And Joe Ward didn't just didn't handle it very well. Um, having said that, you know, I think if you look, you looked at the scorecards and he was ahead, mm. apart from the, the deductions, which, which meant he wasn't be, ahead. Yeah, which seemed to be very one-sided. Well, they were one-sided, yeah. So, um, again, you know, it's, it's just very easy to say in, you know, after some unexpectedly bad results, this must be because of that thing that happened. But I don't really see that there is a clear connection. I mean, boxers sometimes lose fights they're expected to win. It happens. You know, it's what happens in sport. It doesn't... It, not everything makes sense. Things also happen randomly. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Billy Walsh, you know, Billy Walsh is... I, I think he's amazing. He's, he has been one of the leading figures in, in Irish sport. He's done an unbelievable job. But at the same time, and it, it ended messily. And this, this is the thing. If it had ended in less acrimonious circumstances and he had just gone and taken this job... Fair enough, but because of such acrimony around it and everybody was taking sides, I think it's overlooked that he is doing pretty well for himself. That this isn't some guy who has been discarded to the scrap heap of sport. He's, over, unfortunately, I guess for, for from the point of view of us looking in, he's doing very well for himself with another country. Hmm. And that's, that's always a little bit hard to take. Uh, there's no doubt that him and Zor worked very well together, but uh, yeah, I think it is. It is out there anyway after this conversation, how important. Zor has been to things. Hopefully, hopefully we'll just uh, pick up a couple of gold medals. Andy, Andy's three medals, three gold medals might look a little bit outlandish at the moment, but you know, <laughs> Katie, Michael, maybe one of the others, bit of surprise. I think we take three medals at this stage it would look probably uh, reasonably good to me. There's uh, things are going a lot better in the water, I think, or on the water certainly for Annalise Murphy. She's in a gold medal position. Simon, you are a four-time Rush Regatta champion. Correct. Four-time, I'm right in saying? That's accurate. So you can maybe explain to me what the hell is going on when I'm watching the sailing. There are a lot of sports that are difficult to follow during the Olympic Games. Sailing, I'm going to be honest. I just Did you watch it, it in London when she was leading? Yeah. There was a bit of hype. You know, it looked didn't like she was going to get the gold yeah, medal. Didn't they have a little computer graphic thing in London which kind of showed you what was happening? Maybe I haven't seen enough of it this time because... The odd time I'm looking on, I'm like, oh, great, Annalise is on. And then it's not on. She's not, not all of her races are on TV. So I've probably only caught snippets this time. Maybe I have to engage further. But. I could teach yourself and Ken over the weekend, teach you the basics. Would you have to And for Tuesday's medal race, <laughs> you'd really enjoy it, understand the nuances. Have you got a tip for our viewers in, as to how to... Well, I don't know how much to dumb this down. Right down. How far? Dumb it, like, dumb it right down. Wind. Do you, know, you know what wind is? Yes. Uh, you know the difference between a, Do you like know a motor boat is? and a sailing boat? Well, one is a motor. So sailing boats just don't go straight into the wind. They will not do it, Ken. Yeah, because the wind wants to blow them the other direction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you have to go at a 45-degree angle. And you can go 45 degrees that way and 45 degrees that way. So at the start of every race, they're always going into the wind in the Olympics. So they won't go straight for the mark. So that's why it looks confusing and you can't quite tell who's in the lead. But that first leg is incredibly important because the team, the, the sailor that gets around that first mark, the first boy in the water... Uh, from that point onwards, they've got clear air or clean air. So the whole point of sailing is blocking other sailors' air. So when you're going into the wind, the people behind you are getting your bad air if they're close enough. And then when you're going away from the wind, the people behind you can catch up. Right, okay. So if you just imagine yourself on a windy day, you stand behind your friend, you're getting less of the wind. Yeah, but I don't, I don't understand how... Like, I mean, these boats aren't that big. I mean, if you're, a, if you're like, ahead of someone... I mean, how close How close do they have to be before they can start to interfere with your airflow? It depends on the size of the sail more so than the size of the boat, but maybe 
510 boat lengths. Okay, so they have to be quite close. Reasonably why, close. Why yeah. does Annalise like the choppier waters? Partially because she grew up in Ireland, partially because she's quite powerful. The boat that she's in, uh, Laser, is quite a physical boat. So if you're to understand what she's going through physically, lie on your back and then do half a sit-up. So bring your upper body to the 45-degree angle and maintain that position for 20 minutes, half an hour, whilst also steering a boat, holding the rope, thinking about the tide, thinking about the meteorology, thinking about your opponents, tacking, which is when you turn the boat around mm-hmm. uh, through the wind. Um, when she's in that position, I thought she was kind of holding herself up by a rope. No, the rope... She's actually su- self-supporting. She's using her, mainly her stomach and quad muscles and hamstrings. <laughs> yeah, you really? God. Yeah. I, I just assumed that, that, that they were kind of hanging there, you know? The look in your know? face is incredible. You've just got a... This is what I wanted Simon here for, to give you a new appreciation of what these sailors go So through. their feet are kind of must be hooked around something to yeah, stop them falling Yeah, there's little, little toe straps in a laser. That's unbelievable. It's great. Core strength. Yeah. So she's leading. There's six races gone. There's four more to go. And after those four races, the top ten sailors in the fleet go through to the medal race on Tuesday. The medal race counts double. Yes, Which is the one that that. killed her in London. Yeah, I remember that from London, yeah. Which doesn't normally happen. Normally it's just you do the ten races. But it will happen in these Olympics as well. Okay, so the idea is to be within striking distance on going into the last race. And then it's all on the last race. Pull out all your magic. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, And she, she... this terrible weather that's ruining it for the rowers and having the run cancelled, that's really suiting her at the moment. But the weather could change. I mean, she's been preparing for the last few years for light weather sailing. Um, yeah, she's been going out to Rio the whole time. We've yeah. That. It's actually a great advantage that the sailors seem to have over a lot of other athletes. The water's already, the course is already there for you to go out and practice exactly. on. Exactly. So, Rio's a strange place in that it's got uh, mountains and strange tidal currents. Uh, so local knowledge is massive. Like the tiniest little deflection of wind off a mountain affects could affect a sailor over like 10, 20 metres, could change the whole course of a race. And the same with the tides, because when you've got a strange bay like that, there's all sorts of little eddies mm. and currents. Do you suffer from seasickness? Uh, not in a dinghy, which is, you know, a smaller boat like that. Generally, it happens in, in bigger boats where you can't see yeah. the horizon. Because well, it's basically your middle ear not reflecting the fact that uh, the waves are bouncing up and down. I don't know if you saw this yesterday after Annalise did so well. She's on a rest day today, by the way. So uh, she goes again, I think, tomorrow. But the today being Thursday if you're listening on Thursday <laughs> she said yeah it was difficult this is her answer to the first one it was difficult out there the waves are so big I get seasick so I had to put seasickness bands on my wrist to stop me getting sick Annalise Murphy our possibly soon to be Olympic sailing medalist gets seasick it feels like a cyclist who doesn't like fast descents it's amazing yeah uh, you can follow Annalise's Twitter feed by the way that's a good way to uh, check out what's going on during her races at the times when she's not on TV there's loads of detail and all that do you think she'll get a medal Sam? Yeah, I think she's going to get a medal this time. The whole thing seems to be, as you've spoken about this recently, is the nerves she felt when she was actually leading. It was highly unusual for her to win those first four races in London because there's so many variables in sailing. And then suddenly it's the full expectation that you win a gold medal. Uh, whereas I think the four years since, she's reflected on that and she doesn't feel uncomfortable with the position. I guess the, we, uh, the seasickness band, incidentally, I'm, I'm yeah. looking up, apparently works basically by an acupressure principle. You know, the, you know that sort of thing where you can like push your sort of palm or whatever and kind of it's supposed to give relief of headache or whatever. Um, basically, they, you put them on the wrist and they put um, pressure on, on the Naquan acupressure point on each wrist by means of a plastic stud, uh, which apparently um, helps to alleviate the symptoms of seasickness. Uh, I guess we'll be previewing the new Premier League season today. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. I'm down Twanfield and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here, you surely man? Yes, and it's all going to kick off two days' time. You can forget about this Olympics. You can forget about all that uh, extraneous nonsense. This um, is Ken Early's Olympics. They say that a lot in the GA world. I was waiting for the first mention of it, and then I saw oh, Anthony, yeah. Anthony Daly, who's obviously a great <laughs> pundit at the weekend. He said, oh, you know, you've got all that going on over in Rio, but today, this match, Waterford, okay, that was my Olympic Games. Yeah. Uh, obscene and immoral transfer fees. Uh, egomaniacal e- e- um, behaviour from uh, Jose Mourinho. Uh, all this kind of stuff. Uh, all of it back. Bigger, better, and more. Uh, starting on Saturday and continuing for the next nine months 
the Premier League, we, we look ahead to it. The men's basketball was supposed to be a bit of a cakewalk for the USA in Rio, but had to survive a scare last night. Timmy McCarthy commentated on this one for you as brilliantly as ever. Timmy, the dream team, were put to the pin of their collar last night? Yeah, I think they're a vulnerable team. I don't think that this team is as um, competent as previous teams. I think that this reminds me of the 2004 team, which ultimately lost to Argentina in the semi-final. They have no go-to man, really, Owen. And last night, I think that was obvious until Carrieri stepped up in the fourth quarter and probably took the game by the scruff of neck and won it for the, Australia, or for the USA. I was very impressed with Australia. Um, they have five NBA players. They have actually more players with NBA rings than the USA, which is the first time in history that's happened at the Olympics. But I was impressed. The problem for Australia was, though, as they got down the stretch and more and more of bench players who only played club basketball professionally in Australia uh, had to really play a lot of minutes. They just came under pressure. And in the third quarter, the Americans put the squeeze on. The Australians couldn't respond in that period, and that's where they lost the game. But um, I think the US are vulnerable, and I think that last night, if the Australians had won the game, it would have actually helped the US, where right now I think the US are more vulnerable in a knockout situation. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I'm sure people will be surprised to hear that the Dream Team, uh, as they uh, liked it, certainly, I don't think they balk at being called that, don't have a go-to man in the Olympic Games. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant is probably the you know the most experienced with Carmelo Anthony, but you know Anthony has never won an NBA ring and has never you know and has been seen in the US as a guy who has never got it done ultimately in essence. Durant similarly with Oklahoma, you know Oklahoma have had many chances to get to the NBA finals and to win NBAs and um, and I, you know compared to previous teams, they had LeBron and Kobe. The, the two, team in 2008 had Kobe in both those games on in, in final gold medal matches against Spain. Kobe in the fourth quarter, I remember in. 2008 in Beijing took over the fourth quarter when Spain practically had won the game and he won it for them. LeBron and Kobe together in 2012 in London did something similar between them in the fourth quarter again against Spain. I don't see anybody in this USA team with that ability but Irving last night was the one that actually did surprise me in the end. Do you buy into the Dream Team mythology? Do you like to see the superstars win? I like to see the best players play in, in any sport. I mean, and the best people could be. Whether they're professional amateurs, that's just down to the sport in, in that sense. Um, but I also think that it, you know, individually, you know, they're the best uh, talent. I don't think this is the best team, and I think that's you know, ultimately, best teams win. So, the, the opportunity for the USA though is that Spain are very poor at the moment, um, which really surprises me because I expected Spain to be major gold medal contenders. So, the last two games, the first two games, on the buzzer uh, in both situations. So unless they can respond, uh, it looks like the US will get the gold medal. But this is not, you know, um, you, you, I don't think going. Oh, this is a dream team like the '92 team was in Barcelona, where you had, you know, 12 or 11 Hall of Famers. You know, I'm not sure how many Hall of Famers will come out of this team ultimately. So this is not a dream team. It's just a really talented NBA team, which and, is very different in my view. Yeah, that's a good point. And as you say, the Australian team have have all those rings themselves there's a, I guess the whole basketball environment is very different now than when it was in 19, where it was in 1992 in the sense of the amount of international players who play at the very top level Yeah in 1992 I mean the dream team came in you know um, people like Magic Johnson Larry Bird Michael Jordan these guys and you know they were the only real NBA players in the game at that point in time. I think there was um, you know 5% of people in the NBA at that point in time were up from outside of America and I think there's now 45%. Like, there's a lot of players now in America who are not American-born in that sense. So the game has changed from the American point of view. They've opened up their doors to Europeans and Australians, etc., and South Americans. Um, so the game has radically changed. The advantage the USA have, obviously, is, first of all, they've got such a vast pick, um, and they have so much talent. You know, So when you're bringing on a sub as the 11th man, or you know, you're bringing on an NBA player who's on probably 15 or... I think the average salary for this team is $15.5 million a year salary. Um, so you're bringing on a superstar in that context where the other teams are bringing on international players who play in Europe or who play in, in, in South America you know, and are probably on you know a million dollars a year, which is still really good money for, for, for a sports person, but it's not in the same league as the USA. So um, that's the difference. The difference is the USA have more players who are capable of playing you know, at the top for longer against other teams who have less players. But I, again, just to... Uh, make the point last night for the first time ever in history a team faced them with more NBA yeah. rings in their pocket I, I, I thought that was an amazing statistic when we were talking about it last night yeah it really was uh, and everybody is greatly enjoying your uh, commentary as always Timmy do you enjoy the adulation that the Olympic Games brings to you? 
I'm not sure exaggeration to me. When I ah, come on, it. it does, yeah. No, well, I enjoy the fact that people enjoy it. I mean, I love commentating, not just the basketball and all the sports as well, but I just love, I love the fun of commentary. I love the fact that, you know, like commentators' job are to, in my view, are to inform the, the people watching um, about what's happening on the floor, but also entertain them. You know, it is to keep people entertained and keep them watching, you know, for what for many people is a foreign sport that they don't understand the technicalities of basketball in this situation. So, you know, I just get a great buzz when I when I hear the feedback that that, that I get, and then my family get that. You know, people really are enjoying this, and, and that sense. obviously there are people sadly who don't like my style. Of, <laughs> that's life. In that yeah. you know, you you've got to accept that as well. But I enjoy it, and I, I think for me, what I said to you before, you know, we spoke before in, in a different context, mm. and I said to you that back then that, you know. I'm not trying to be anybody. I'm just trying to come in my style and you know and, and be myself and, and enjoy it for myself and hopefully then you know the people watching can enjoy it as well. And I think if for comedians who do that, you know that comes out and comes across in the commentary. Do you use words like downtown and boom shakalaka in everyday life? Well, no, because uh, the down. Well, first of all, the downtown is specifically related, to, you know, to a shadow side the arc in that sense. So I don't use them in, in, in everyday life. Um, coast to coast is a move where <laughs> the player goes one end of the floor to the other. And uh, I think in 2004, you know, after my, the first dunk, I, I, I thought it was an amazing. One of the dunks was such amazing. I came up with boom shakalaka, and I just kept in my commentary since from that point. <laughs> I mean, but now, oh, not in not in normal day life. <laughs> I don't. I don't get the opportunity to use those words. No, you might get a, the odd strange look. All right. Obviously, basketball is such a huge worldwide sport, and I guess there was an iconic age, which is well chronicled in recent years in Ireland for the sport, and this is still obviously the diehard fans. Do you see this as sort of a chance for you, uh, you know, somebody who's been heavily involved in the sport and is now commentating to present it, I guess, present the sport as best as possible to the masses? I, I think I, I think it's important to present any sport to, to, to the masses. That sense, basketball had you know, what was described as the golden era. My own view on about golden era is I think every era that people are playing is a golden era. So, you know, when I was playing in the 80s, it got a lot more media exposure, television exposure. So, you know, more people were exposed to the game. But to me, golden era is about, you know, the people that play in the area they play. I mean, I, I look back at my time, I really enjoyed it at that point in time. I know we enjoy watching basketball, but I, I think the players that are playing today you know, should take this as their golden era, irrespective of whether they get the same media exposure, less media exposure, or more media exposure. It's sad that basketball you know, doesn't get as much media exposure now as it, as it previously did. But look, on you and I have been involved in sport you know, for a long time. Sport goes in cycles. You know, things go in cycles. What was fashionable at one stage becomes unfashionable and then comes back into fashion again, you know, like, like, like the fashion industry. And, you know, maybe basketball would become more fashionable again from a public point of view and an exposure point of view going forward. But right now, the Olympics, you know, and when it comes around, it definitely gives it a, a shot in the arm and hopefully we can capitalise in the sport on it and get a bit more, you know, bums on seats as they say, you know, to go and watch some games. Because there are some really good games, you know, in the National League in Ireland, in both the men's and the women's, you know, week in, week out, marked over runs. So it would be nice to see, you know, a, a pickup in the audiences that now go to games you know, and maybe get back, not even back to what it was in, in the past, because that's looking backwards, you know, kind of, uh, I suppose, eyes are, that, that are shining back then. But it'd be nice for basketball to be maximising its exposure now. And I don't think it does that as well as it could at the moment. All right. Well, listen, Timmy, great to catch up with you today. And uh, we look forward to watching for the rest of the tournament. Thanks a million. God bless you. What are you saying? You're just a phony, man. This is just what I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. Lovely to catch up with Timmy McCarthy there. I hope you stayed up after the Joe Ward fight to watch Timmy commentating on that USA-Australia game. It was a bit of a cracker. I know you did, Ken. You're having a serious, serious night owl complex. With I'm exhausted. Games. I'm You're totally up, like, exhausted. You, you, you come in tired, you leave energised. I don't know what's going on. With well, I keep watching. I'm watching the swimming, and but they it doesn't start till 10. Or, or 10 local time, 2 o'clock. Hmm. 2 in the morning is when it starts, like the finals. Um, it finishes up around 4. 
Yeah, crazy. And I haven't even been able to, I haven't really been able to do that because I keep having to get up. I mean, it'd be fine if I could just stay in bed until I mm. was ready to get out. Uh, but I keep having to get up after five or six hours and that's just beginning to grind me down. Oh yeah, no, there's a lot of sympathy out there for people like you who get to watch these things and talk about them for work purposes. I just find it, I find it a bit annoying um, <laughs> that, you know, I'm, I'm being dictated to by American, what time American TV networks think their audience, you know, they're still doing tape delay in America. Oh, this happens every time. NBC get criticised massively for tape delay, for what they choose to put in, what they choose to leave out. Like, tape delay doesn't make any sense anymore. No. Even eight years ago, tape delay maybe still made some kind of sense. Now it's literally like, I know all these results already. You know, anybody, anybody who is online, anybody who, anybody who owns a phone, it's been spoiled for them. Yeah. And most people do own a phone at this, at this, at this point. A lot of uh, people do. It's sure. just crazy that they're still doing it. it, like it uh, is, the point of that, is the point of that to edit it in such a way as to make it as dramatic as possible? Because it's so good if you know the results. But that, yeah, that New Yorker piece that we've been talking about, that really good piece about the gymnastics, said it made a point here that they, they were quite critical of the way, you know, we don't know how NBC are covering it, so there's not much point talking too much better. But they, it is true of a lot of sports and a lot of TV that they dumb, sometimes dumb it down almost too much. Mm. You know, when you're watching, you want to see, like, for example, the swimming analysts on RTE who are really good, you, you want to actually get uh, a bit of knowledge as to what's going on. Absolutely. You, you're not watching these sports. You don't know about them. Of course, people can, the analysts should assume you don't know, but they should also assume that you're a blank canvas yeah. and that they can help you out there a little bit. Apparently, this isn't happening with the gymnastics in America, but the point being raised in the article is that in gymnastics and other sports, NBC often compensates for the viewer's lack of knowledge by inserting drama. In 2012, the network notoriously made it seem as if the American women's women's hopes for gold were in greater peril than they actually were by simply not airing the fact that a Russian gymnast had fallen during her floor exercise. Yeah, so maybe that's what NBC are after. Dishonest media. Uh, That's so dishonest. Uh, I mean, that that, that is, though. That's just, that's that's, (laughs) that's totally ridiculous. Um... I mean, I haven't noticed, I mean, not that I would notice, you know, as a as a sort of a TV watching dupe, I wouldn't know if I was being lied to in this way. I haven't noticed it. Uh, but I do think that there should be an assumption that if you're watching this, that you're interested in it. Like, I mean, if you if you weren't, you wouldn't be watching it. So if you are interested in it, either you are a fan of the sports. Um, okay, most people maybe are... are kind of more general sort of, oh, this is the Olympics, I might watch this, you know, once every four years type viewers for a lot of these sports. But I do think that people are interested in knowing more about what they're watching. You know, I mean, they were talking last night about like uh, Earl McCarthy and Andrew B- Andrew Bree were on... These are the swimming analysts. Yeah, yeah they, were, they were on RT talking about like Australian freestyle. They were talking about like changes that have been made to, or changes in the sort of dominant style or the what is considered to be best practice in freestyle swimming, which have happened like over the last few years. Now I mean I would be interested I'm interested in that. I used to swim. I think I know a bit about it, but actually I know nothing about it. It's like it's, you know, twenty more than twenty years really since I was doing it. Um so I'm not I'm not aware of stuff that's happened in the last, you know, couple of years mm-hmm. and like the, these kind of elements. And I love hearing about that kind of stuff. You know, I thought it was really good um a really good segment. Um as for drama, I can figure that out for myself. Yeah, there's plenty of drama there. It's not as though you have to wait too long. There, there, are, there is the odd lull when you're watching the Olympics. We don't have the red button, Ken. Myself and yourself aren't with a provider, television provider, who gives us a red button option. Mm. But we still have BBC, RT, and BBC Four. So mm. usually between the three stations, there's drama. Yeah. At, at any point of the Olympic Games. You, you, don't have to, you really don't have to go down that NBC route of manufacturing. <laughs> and you don't have to know anything about... But you don't have to know anything about it to, to pick up on what's you know on rivalry or tension. You know that's that's like something that any person can do mm-hmm. without any sort of technical knowledge. Like I think it is good. It's good when they try to give you a little bit more. Um, I mean, what's the point of having you know an expert pundit on if they're not telling you something that you don't know? Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I mean, usually, usually we're watching football. I'm watching football, and it's more. It's maybe it's more difficult than football. People are following it all the time. You know what I mean? That's. It's not at such a premium that, like, oh, well, what he's done there is, you know, you know, you know what I mean. Like, actually, 
deep technical insight is more difficult to give to a more regular audience who's actually more yep. familiar with the sport. But you know, in these in these cases, I think it's I think it's great. I, that's certainly what I would prefer to uh, be listening to. All right, start of the Premier League season this weekend. I'm already looking forward to Monday's podcast. We'll have the Olympics bubbling along, and obviously a massive hurling weekend as well with the semi final. The semi-final replay, first of all, the Kilkenny-Watford game on Saturday, and then tip against Galway and Sunday. So a lot going on on Monday. We are just finishing recording, but as I speak, I've just been told that the Irish rowers are lighting it up here. I'm sure you're already aware of this. Yeah, Donovan Brothers from Skibbereen have just qualified for the final of the lightweight double skulls. We're well used to a bit of wind. That kind of thing wouldn't phase us at all. And just before that, Claire Lamb and Sinead Lynch they came third as well in the women's double school. So they're through to the final, which is a staggering achievement. Rowing, there's a sport that I don't need a Simon Hick explainer for. I can pretty much see what's going on at all times. I, I know, I'm sure there are technical variations, etc. But it's, yeah, it's pretty easy to keep a handle on. So best look to all of those rowers in their finals. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.